1: Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at a talk given by Gordon B. Hinckley back in April of 1990. It was a priesthood session of conference where he is speaking to Latter-day Saint Males Now, Gordon B. Hinckley was the first counselor at this time, and he would become president of the church years later. But still, this is a conference message, and Latter-day Saints are instructed that they are to take conference messages very seriously. We've been talking about some of the requirements or some of the questions that Latter-day Saints are asked when they are applying to get a temple recommend, which gives them permission to enter any temple that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints owns throughout the world. Hinckley has been stressing the point that when you answer these questions, of course, you have to be honest. You would think if you were a dishonest person, you wouldn't qualify to go into the temple anyway. So obviously you have to answer honestly, but he's also saying you also must be loyal to the leadership of the church. But now he's going to switch gears and show that it's not just a loyalty to the leadership of the church, but there must also be a loyalty to the laws of the land. He says, honesty with others, including obedience to constitutional law, is likewise a requirement. Now, that stood out to me, because if you know anything about LDS church history, you know that there was a huge conflict between the church and the federal government when it came to the subject of polygamy. LDS leaders were very defiant when it came to the federal government wanting to impose its will upon the Latter-day Saints. For instance, what did Brigham Young say on this subject? Yeah, this is from Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 361. He said this
2: August 1st, 1852. Admit, for argument's sake, that the Mormon elders have more wives than one, yet our enemies never have proved it. If I had 40 wives in the United States, they did not know it and could not substantiate it, neither did I ask any lawyer, judge, or magistrate for them. I live above the law, and so do this people. Do the laws of the United States require us to crouch and bow down to the miserable wretches who violate them?
1: No. That doesn't sound to me like Brigham Young was expressing his honesty with others when he's basically justifying lying to the federal government and to others about his having many wives. But in this talk, Gordon B. Hinckley goes on to say that in those instances where the courts have ruled against us, although the ruling was difficult to bear, we have accepted it and conformed to it. Let me just say to that statement, not readily, because the courts actually came down as early as 1862 with what was known as the Morrill Act, and that's spelled M-O-R-R-I-L-L. It was a law that was brought forth by a Vermont congressman by the name of Justin Smith Morrill. It came down in 1862. President Abraham Lincoln signed it into law. However, because of the Civil War that was taking place at that time, Lincoln had kind of made a deal with Brigham Young that he wasn't going to enforce it as long as the Latter-day Saints stayed out of the conflict. Now remember, in 1862, the Latter-day Saints are in the territory of Utah. They're far away from where this conflict is taking place. But this law basically made polygamy illegal. Well, the Mormons were still continuing on in that, even though they knew what the law said, I guess they felt that as long as Lincoln wasn't going to enforce it, that gave them a legitimacy of some sort to continue practicing it. Well, then later on, after the Civil War, pressure from the government was again put on the LDS Church to get rid of polygamy. And then you had what was known as the Edmonds Act. Now, this is George Edmond. He was a senator. This was approved in 1882. He was also from Vermont. But then in 1887, they came up with the Edmonds-Tucker Act. And Tucker was John Randolph Tucker, who was a congressman from Virginia. Now, this is where the government is really starting to put the pressure on the LDS people, and they're going to start confiscating their property, and this becomes very serious, which, of course, leads to the 1890 manifesto that was signed by the fourth president of the church, Wilford Woodruff. My point is this, though they're supposed to include obedience to constitutional law, It didn't seem to be the case in their history. Now, I guess, Eric, a Latter-day Saint could argue, well, the Constitution itself doesn't talk about a man having one wife. But when you come down with the Morrill Act, and then you come down with the Edmonds Act, and then the Edmonds-Tucker Act, That argument seems to go out the window, because now it is the law of the land. You are not supposed to have more than one wife. That would be considered, as it was called back then, unlawful cohabitation. My question is, during that time period, based on what Gordon B. Hinckley has told us, would that mean that Mormon temples were being defiled when they were defying the law of the land at that time. If I am to take what Gordon B. Hinckley says here as being serious, uh,
2: Hinckley continues in his talk and says the temple recommend what you carry, if honestly obtained, is certification of your moral worthiness.
1: Well, let me stop you there, because this is where I think is this false sense of security. When he says, the temple recommend which you carry, if honestly obtained, that means you haven't lied, you haven't fudged on any of your answers. When you were asked Do You keep the word of wisdom, you in your heart, I'm sure, were being honest and making known to your bishop, your ecclesiastical leader, for instance, that you only eat meat in times of extreme cold or famine. Oh, I pause there because I don't think many Latter-day Saints are doing that if you answered honestly, I guess you can feel that you are not only morally worthy to enter a temple, but you would also think that many Latter-day Saints would see that also as a type of vindication that you are morally worthy to get into the celestial kingdom. And that can be a dangerous assumption in Mormonism.
2: Well, I think you're right, because how many Latter-day Saints are walking around thinking that they are actually worthy to go to the celestial kingdom based on having a card that they might not have been completely honest, or they have broken things in the two years since their Last Temple Recommend interview. It also is going to bring up the issue of pride, thinking that, well, I must be good enough if I have the certification that I am morally worthy, then I deserve to go to heaven.
1: And you mentioned pride, and we ought to bring that up again, because pride is very serious in Mormonism. According to Alma 527, if you have pride, you're not ready to die, it says. How many proud Latter-day Saints do we come across? You would think if they take the Book of Mormon seriously, they would see that as a very serious condemnation against them that would ultimately, if the Book of Mormon is true, would prevent them not only from being saved in the celestial, but it's a threat. You're not ready to die at all.
2: Yesterday, Bill, we talked about the word interrogation, which is the word that Hinckley used to explain what the Temple Recommend interview is about. I'm going to say in this next quote I'm going to give you, perhaps there ought to be more interrogation, as I I mentioned yesterday. This is what he says. I have in my office a file of letters received from women who cry out over the treatment they receive from their husbands in their homes. They tell of the activity of some of these men in church responsibilities. They even speak of men holding temple recommends.
1: Now, if that's true, how did they slip by the bishop, the judge in Israel, who was supposed to ask these questions, it would show that, at least in some of these cases, that there was a lack of discernment on the part of the bishop when he was asking these questions, when he was interrogating, you might say, the particular members. Here's where I think is a contradiction. At one point, Hinckley says, the temple recommend is certification of your moral worthiness. But then in the next paragraph, he says he has in his office a file of letters received from women who cry out over the treatment they receive from their husbands in their homes that tell of the activity of some of these men who are in church responsibilities. They even speak of men holding temple recommends. I think the listener ought to understand here that this shows that just because a person has a temple recommend, that doesn't mean that they are really morally worthy And Hinckley's admitting it here. Obviously, if he has a file of letters, and I don't know how many letters are in this file, you can be pretty sure if he has a number of letters from women who have at least put this in writing to him, there are probably many more female members out there who have been abused by their husbands who haven't said a word about it.
2: We talked about it earlier this week, the idea of defiling the temple. This is serious business, or at least it should be serious business, and this is how he goes on and says, "'Brethren, when the bishop interviews you for your temple recommend, he is not likely to get into these delicate and sensitive and personal things.'" why not? Why shouldn't he get into issues like, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your children?
1: I think you raise a good point, Eric, because if these are the things that defile the individual, and having something come into the temple who is going to to defile the temple— you would think that would be an an important enough issue to ask questions like that. Now, that could also get the LDS Church into a lot of trouble when you start asking them about intimate behaviors in their life. A lot of people get a little nervous about that, uh, as, as you can understand. But I think it is a good point. If it's this sacred, if it's that important, then Maybe they should be asking some of those things.
2: And he goes on and says this, you must judge within your heart whether you are guilty of any practice that is unholy, impure, or or in any way evil before the Lord. Is using your heart the proper way to go about this, Bill? It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, the heart of man is deceitful. And so how are you judging your heart by your own feelings? Or maybe you should use the Word of God to see if you're doing anything unholy, impure, or in any way evil before the Lord.
1: Well, how could the bishop flush that out in an individual if he were to ask a question? I think one way he could do it is, well, Do you repent of your sins? And why are you sinning that you need to repent of them? What are those sins? Hinkley says here, you must judge within your heart whether you are guilty of any practice that is unholy, impure, or in any ways evil before the Lord. If I go into a recommend interview or interrogation, which is the word that Gordon B. Hinkley uses, and I realize that I am a sinner— that finds it necessary to repent quite often, how could I feel confident that I am not guilty of any practice that is unholy? You see, this is the difference between Mormonism and Christianity. We recognize that we are an unholy people in and of ourselves. We are only made holy because of the righteousness of Christ we trust in him. We turn to the cross for that necessary righteousness, which makes us approved before an all-holy God. As you can see from this sermon given by Gordon B. Hinckley, that responsibility is put on the shoulders of the individual member. They must sustain that type of righteousness in their daily actions. But yet, when you ask most Latter-day Saints Are you really doing that? If they're honest with you, as they should be honest in their Temple Recommend interview, they would have to say they're not.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.